This is the 25th episode of Unlimited Partners. It's amazing how fast time goes. We're just getting started, but man, I am really glad we got this ball rolling. If there's a project or opportunity that you've been sitting on in your life, then please see if you can take that first step. For today's episode, our team gathered some of their favorite excerpts from the first 24 discussions. We have highlights from Brent Bishore of Permanent Equity, Amanda Groves from Plus Capital, Trip Jones from Uncork, and Kyle Harrison from Contrary. We start by hearing from Brent Bishore on what it means to pick the games worth playing in life. So one of the things that I, I absolutely know about you is that you you love what you you do, uh, and I know that you you also mentor a lot of people. And I think that probably more often than not, people reach out to you for mentoring because because they want to be wealthy, like because they want they want to have financial success the way that that they, that you have. But I I think that um, your success that you've had to date is not about the focus of of financial resources like the inputs that you're focusing on don't have to do with necessarily making money they have to do with helping companies be the best version of themselves and the, and just the natural outcome there is is that they are, are are more profitable one of the topics that i've been thinking a lot about is like focus on the inputs and the outputs take care of of themselves how do you think about helping people find the inputs that they need to be focused on Boy, that's, I mean, this is the deep water and this is <laughs> maybe the deepest of waters. I mean, the, the thing you got to figure out is like, what's the game you're playing? And I think a terrifying thing for me would be winning at the wrong game. And I think that, look, I've been playing, playing games for almost 40 years now. And a lot of the games I've been playing are the wrong game to play. And I think over time, just a gift that I've been given is to see a bigger and bigger game. And oftentimes when I ask somebody who's coming to me for advice on, you know, I want to start a hold co or I want to start buying small companies, or maybe I just want to start buying one small company. You know, my first question to them is just, what are you optimizing for? And I would say almost no one very rarely does somebody have a good answer to that. They really have never thought about it that way. I think that we get so goal driven that there's a goal induced blindness that results from it. And, and I suffer from this. And I think, you know, when you think about what inputs do I want to have, gosh, I, I have to remind myself every morning. In fact, I have a, uh, a very private sort of, um, smelling salts cheat sheet for me every morning that I go through. And it's what I, what I have to remind myself of is the reality that I don't feel on a day-to-day basis but that the reality is there and that that is the true reality of this world and this life. And, you know, I think deep by default, and, and I think the world screams at us that we're make, make ourselves gods, right? Like we're going to live forever. We need to build ourselves. We need to accumulate. We need to um, gain as much as we can, right? Like sort of this naked self-ambition that is uh, really celebrated in our culture. Um, and what I found, and I found this in my late twenties and I can still struggle to today with it. I think it's the thorn in my flesh that I'm going to carry for the rest of my life is, man, that's, that seems so attractive to me in the moment, right? It seems so, uh, so desirable to build myself into something more, to gain more, to gain more praise and notoriety and money and glory for myself. And man, it just ends in ruin. And this is not complicated. I mean, 
Jim Carrey has, by the way, some of the best quotes on this, right? He's like, I hope everyone can. Uh, I've been, I've, I've been saying this, this is, I, that's so wild that you're going to bring up Jim Carrey, man. I, this is, I know exactly what you're going to say. And I've, I have quoted this at least five times in the last week. I'm not making that up at all. Well, it's because we're just vibing. We're like your brother from a different mother. Um, so we, I mean, Jim Carrey's quotes around, like, I hope everyone would, uh, get all their hopes and dreams fulfilled to realize that's not the thing. I mean, man, you, you, you listen to somebody say like that and you, I mean, Jim Carrey is, you know, I don't know, hundreds of millions of dollars in net worth and gets into every room and invited to every party. And, and he's, it's kind of like a, it's, it's Ecclesiastes, right? I mean, this is the Solomon, the beauty of, of Solomon telling us like, I have, I have done all the things that the hearts of people want, right? I have all the vineyards, I have all the desires fulfilled and it's all chasing after the wind, right? It's all for naught. Um, and I think that's it, to, to have somebody be able to tell us that because we, we always have this view of the world, or at least I have Maybe I'm not going to try to generalize to everyone. But I think it's a universal thing where y- you always want to get into the rooms you can't get into. You always want to wonder what was what's happening in the rooms that you're not in. Um, what would it be like if I had, you know, <laughs> more money, better friends, more experiences, whatever the thing is, taste better food. Gosh, what would it look like if, if, if I got all those things or if I even got that one thing, right? These are the, these are the idols, right? These are the good things that we make into ultimate things. And they're always unfulfilled and unfulfilling. And when you actually achieve them and you get them, you, you sort of go through these periods of, of real trouble and disappointment because it's like the dog that catches the car, and you're like, oh man, like this is not at all what I'd hoped it to be. And then you realize you were playing the wrong game. I just want to put inputs in in my life that make me realize what the ultimate reality is, which is, uh, look, I'm I, I was created for a purpose. Um, I am loved, and uh, my future is secure. And then I can't lose. Um, then I can just go to work and I can love people and serve people and give generously. And um, that's the reality that I know is true, even though I don't feel it most days. Next, we move on to Amanda Groves, where we hear how her firm, Plus Capital, works with actors and athletes to make their careers more durable by identifying ways for them to apply their passions to help businesses grow and succeed. How does how does Plus Capital work? I don't know if there's a way of chronologically kind of a, you know talking about how you as- assemble the matchmaking of a personality with capital and desire for involvement with the right opportunity. Maybe just sharing a little bit of like how this really cool sausage is made. Yeah, sure. Um, so I think first and foremost starts with us internally at Plus thinking about the sectors of interest that we think are going to be smart places to invest financial capital over the next five to seven years based on sort of a broader macro view of where there might be interesting secular tailwinds to take advantage of. Um, and we've decided that those themes in particular, at least for the next five to 10 years, are health and wellness, um, sustainability, the conscious consumer, the future of work and future of education. And then in parallel, having conversations with each of our um, artists or athlete clients to understand where their passions and interests lie um, and see where they overlap in terms of what we think is a really appealing investable universe. And so we have this cool um, sort of CRM system that's managed by the platform team, as you alluded to, that canvases who all of our clients are, what their underlying psychographics and demographics are of their um, audiences, 
what their passions and interests are and how they like to engage with prospective portfolio companies in terms of, you know, what levers do they want to use? Is it um, social media amplification? Is it other press awareness? Is it creative um, involvement? Is it showing up to events? Like there is a whole swath of different ways in which celebrities can participate. I think about that as an asset management exercise where your personality, you know, it's it's the, the, the Jay-Z line of like, I'm not a businessman. I'm a business man. And, <laughs> and so like you're managing that kind of you're, you're helping manage that kind of business for these personalities. Could you just talk about like what 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 does that mean? I mean, I, I think that for me, it's kind of fundamentally like a, a scarcity versus abundance situation where, you know, a Matthew McConaughey or Ellen DeGeneres can they can put their name on damn near anything. And if you get lots and lots of distribution, you might end up sacrificing something of quality, scarcity, um, authenticity as well. Like, how do you how do you work with the personalities to feel like you're both on the same page for what the existing asset is and and where you guys want to go with it? Yeah, I think ultimately protecting a celebrity's brand and their brand equity is of the utmost importance, which I think is kind of what you're getting at too, right? Like. Ellen or Matthew could put their name on hundreds of companies as, as being partners with them, but ultimately it would dilute the value of their participation in subsequent partnerships or investments. Um, and so being very specific about the opportunities by which a celebrity is going to publicly engage with or support a company is really important so that we can continue to have a lot of impact going forward and that it's not just a dime a dozen. The other thing that we're cognizant of too is sort of brand risk outside of just um, the abundance portion. But are these artists or athletes attaching their name to a mission or product or team that of course is hopefully doing something that's better for the world or for the beings on it, but is there a risk in their affiliation um, in some capacity. And so generally speaking, we've strayed away from like biotech, for example, or specific healthcare related businesses, because if God forbid something were to go wrong, the press is going to um, grasp onto the celebrity as name and their involvement as a little bit of the clickbait. And so being really thoughtful about like, where can these people affect change? What do they want to affect change about? And then how do we make sure that we're protecting the portfolio company and the talent from potentially negative press in the future to the extent something goes wrong? And so that hedge is also um, meaningful. We think about longevity for an artist or athlete with respect to sort of a social currency such that if they quit acting or competing or whatever their craft is tomorrow have we been able to ingratiate them in the world of entrepreneurship and venture capital in such a way where they can continue to leverage their audience and their influence in the world um, to have a meaningful impact for companies even if that means not being in the next marvel movie or jurassic park or whatever it is Next, we hear from Trip Jones of Uncork on what it means to evolve and grow with the team of people you respect. It's going to be really exciting to see uh, the next wave of, of digital transformation hit some of these more brick and mortar uh, industries. 
at bringing people, frankly, more meaning from their digital experiences. I think I think we're at the point where uh, you know we were promised hoverboards and we got 128 characters. I I want my fucking hoverboard now. So yeah, so <laughs> let's get let's get let's get out into the woods. Let's go have experiences. Um, one conversation that I, I've really been looking forward to to having is kind of surrounds the the the, the organization at, at Uncork, um, previously Softech. Jeff Clavier is one of the OGs of of seed stage investing. He was practicing this craft at a time when you could count on a couple of hands the number of of firms doing it. Could you tell me the story of your journey to to joining Uncork? The firm is at what seems like a really interesting inflection point. It seems to me, just as an outside observer, that Jeff and Andy, at some point in the last couple of years, made a decision to really go for it. And any time that I suspect there was, you know, two people locking eyes and saying, "Let's freaking do this," uh, I want, I want to, I want to learn more about that story and and like hear what was compelling to you. And as your partner Susan joined at the, at the in the same window, like just kind of sharing for me uh, the backstory on how you came to work with Uncork. Yeah, I know it's it's a really good question, and I think you're right. When Jeff started Uncork in 2004, and, and, and the predecessor, you know, name was or you know the previous name was was Softech VC. It wasn't a thing. There was like a handful, as you you mentioned, there was a handful of not just firms doing it, like a handful of people doing it. It was Steve Anderson at Baseline, Chris Saka at Lowercase, uh, Kirsten Green at Forerunner, you know, Josh Koppelman at First Round. Like you know, it, it was a very small handful of folks that. You know, they weren't even called like seed investors back there. They were like super angels. And then kind of, they didn't even get the seed monitor until like 2010. You know, things have changed a lot in the last five years. Uh, the kind of traditional Sandhill Road hegemony has, I, I, I think has been broken. That doesn't mean that the, the you know, the Sandhill Road firms are like, you know, are gone or going away. And in many cases are far, far more powerful than they were, but they went from, a little cottage industry focused on Bay Area startups, uh, you know, at the earliest stages to these kind of multi-billion dollar global asset managers, the Andreessen Horowitzes and the Sequoias and the, uh, the general catalysts and the, uh, the Lightspeed Ventures, you know, really, really got so much bigger. And what that meant was they had so many more resources to bear. They invested, you know, from one kind of or two general, you know, geographic focus areas to globally. Uh, and then they went up and down the investing stack where frankly, they probably spend more time thinking about how they're, you know, going to invest in the, you know, 100, 200, 500 million dollar rounds than how they're going to invest in the series A rounds, which, which is, you know, even though they're kind of series A funds, that, that's where their focus is. And, you know, as they got bigger, they just couldn't bring their kind of star GPs, focus to bear on these early stage companies and help them kind of build from, from, you know, either nothing or, you know, you know, barely something to, to a company that, you know, you know, has achieved product market fit is kind of really ripping uh, and ready to, to take on, you know, significantly more capital at the same time, the seed market in general exploded. I think there's what, 1500 seed firms kind of, you know, out there. But at the same time, like even with all that noise, there's been a handful of firms that have emerged in that seed market that to basically take the place 
uh, that was vacated by those Series A funds as they've either gone extinct and gone away or have gotten so much bigger and they look, frankly, more like Blackstone and KKR than they do like a traditional Sand Hill Road Series A firm. Uncork is, it has it, you know, emerged as, as one of those ones. And I think you're right. It was not accidental. It, you know, the, the market clearly came into them. And when Jeff and Andy kind of saw that happening, they took like material steps to prepare for it. One thing like that was, you know, kind of obvious and they did it in 2018 is they rebranded. They went from Softech VC to Uncork. Uh, and in big part because soft tech was so synonymous with Jeff Clavier and Jeff was adamant that like he wanted, you know, the firm to kind of last a lot longer than him or his career and, 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 and kind of be stand for a lot more than just like, Hey, that's Jeff Clavier's fund, even though he is an iconoclast in the, in the category, you know, it needed to stand for, you know, the firm needed to stand on its own. And that's, that's a big reason why they rebranded on cork. Um, as they, you know, thought about the next 10 years, you know, it was, hey, let's fill in the holes where we're, you know, uh, where, where we're a little weaker, you know, Andy, in my opinion, and, you know, I've said it to you and I said it to everyone, I think he's the best enterprise software seed investor in the world. You know, what he does, you know, his focus on infrastructure software, dev tools, like he's good as it gets. Uh, you know, there's some others that can, you know, ha- have a rightful kind of claim to the title, like Ed Sims at Bold Start. But like Andy's in that in that discussion. Every was SendGrid time. was SendGrid in the indie deal? No, SendGrid was actually uh, a Jeff deal. Oh, uh, interesting. Yeah, um, that was that SendGrid predates uh, Andy. And okay. Jeff, and listen, Jeff. There's a reason why Jeff is Jeff. Like Jeff has invested in a lot of really really great companies. Um, you know, Jeff was one of the original like Web two investors back in the you know 2000 knots. And, you know, he was all over the place and he invested in a bunch of great B2B companies. Lately, he's been investing in like all these super interesting frontier tech companies, especially around space and synthetic biology and in kind of early crypto stuff. Um, and uh, Jeff is really a kind of evolved with the time and is truly like a generalist. Um, Andy was this exceptional enterprise software investor, but kind of really at the infrastructure layer, top down focus. You know, they realized as as Uncork has progressed, we're really about 70% B2B software. And, you know, it, that couldn't just be, you know, that um, couldn't just be served by by Andy's talents, which are immense, but like he's only one one person. And so we brought in Susan Liu, who was uh, kind of the rising star at Scale Venture Partners to, to take over the you know, application layer of software, you know, really focus on bottoms up, uh, you know, markets, really focus on focus on product led growth. And, um, you know, it really gave the firm a lot of kind of leverage and scale uh, to kind of do things that that we weren't doing as well before. I, within my consumer and marketplace experience, you know, have taken over, you know, our, our, our efforts in that category. And while it may just be, you know, 15 or 20% of the companies we invest in, it's still such an important piece of the economy and, you know, an area that like we feel like, you know, it still has the ability to go to, you know, from zero to very, very large companies when it works very quickly. And so we want to make sure, you know, I'm covering that space and I hopefully am, you know, one of the preeminent investors in that category at my stage. What were some of the um, objectives that you had when you were looking at Uncork and, and what, why, why did that feel like the best home for you? Yeah, I know it's a good, it's a good question. Um, and I thought about this a lot. You kind of needed to take a little bit of a walkabout of like what, what you care about and what motivates you. And what I care about and what motivates me are two things. 
Um, I like to win and I like teams. I like the accountability that teams kind of hold you to. I like the leverage teams provide. I also like to win. I don't, you know, I don't always have to be the very best in the world at something, but like I want to be one of the best at whatever I do. I don't care if it's like I'm a woodworker or a history teacher or a venture capitalist. I want to be, you know, in that top tier, like, you know, as good as- I at you- least want an honorable mention. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Um, and so as I looked around the world, you know, that, that Uncork was poised to continue to win and continue to be highly successful in that category, one. But then, you know, combined with this team of, of Jeff, Susan, and Andy, I thought it was a perfect fit. And and a lot of it's my, you know, my relationships and trust in this team. Jeff has been a friend and mentor for more than a decade. Uh, He's, you know, as I mentioned, he's an iconoclast. I was always the guy I tried to get coffee with a couple times a year, partly to like, you know, trade deals and stuff like that, but like partly to extract as much information as I possibly could get. Like, I love this job because you can, the learning curve is so steep and it goes on forever and it's constantly changing. Uh, Andy, as I've already said, you know, at least once, you know, is the best, I, I think it's the very best, you know, enterprise software seed investor in the world. And obviously you want to be on that guy's team, but, but even as importantly, he's been one of my closest friends for the last decade. I got to know him when he was an entrepreneur, when he was the founder of a company called Huddle. I passed on Huddle a couple times. He, you know, became my neighbor. We were, you know, dads together. We started talking, I don't know, you know, how many years ago, but like for the last three or four years, we've talked and texted or met, you know, in, in real life every single day for years. And so with that innate trust I already had with them, with the investing I've done with, did with them and with their position in the market, like it was such a no brainer to join them when the opportunity arose, uh, you know, as a fourth member of their team. And finally, in one of the best reflections on partnership, we hear how Kyle Harrison and his colleagues at Contrary support people across their entire careers. Would you mind telling me a little bit about Contrary? When I looked through your pitch deck, um, I was just blown away by the way that you guys think about building the, the talent and relationship funnel. I'd love to hear something of the founding story of Contrary, your journey to joining and what it means to be a more people-centric VC fund. Because I, I think that you guys actually do some things, whether it's with the money that you invest in in Prism, your system for identifying talent. I just think that spending some time on the history and business model of Contrary would be really awesome. Definitely. And huge credit where credit is due. So one of the reasons why I was so excited to work with Eric and that I finally found a role that made sense for me and my background to work with him is because I think of him as one of the most just exceptionally bootstrapped people that I know. Like he's really, I mean, there's no, you know, there's no background, family money, anything that sort of just set him up in in a sort of almost like an unfair level of success. Everything he has built, he has built through just, you know, raw, grit and, and, and passion and things like that. So huge credit to Eric for building what he's built. And the, the way that the contrary story started. So early in Eric's career, he worked at a YC company and that was acquired by Lyft and he, he, you know, through college and through this experience, he saw all of these exceptional people around him, right? We've all been in that situation where we think, man, these are, when I think about all the people I've come across, here's the, you know, five or six or 10 or whatever exceptional people that I just, I would love to stay close to and and surround myself with. And when he thought about the evolution of venture, 
he caught on to what I think is becoming progressively a more accepted uh, trend now. But you know, six years ago when he started Contrary, it was much uh, it was much more of a sort of raw a raw take. So basically, the evolution that he saw was venture has evolved from the sort of you know, V1, if you will, uh, being very company-centric transactions. And that's the Sequoias and Kleiners. They find a good company. They, they give them money. And largely what they do for you is the money and maybe the board member, but it, it comes with the money. And the second phase of this that we've seen and that has been wildly successful is company-centric programs. So Y Combinator built their offering around a very specific program. It's still fairly company centric. Like there is some, to some extent, like it's a very early company, but it's still very much about like, Hey, when you pitch, you're not pitching like, Hey, here's who I am as a person. You're pitching. Here's my company. Here's my idea. And they bring you into this program. But at most the program has a beginning and an end, right? Is it, even though you have some loose affiliation longer term with YC, it's still, you were in the XYZ cohort, right? It started at this point, it ended at this point, and that's a happy memory and they're helpful and you move on. The way that Contrary sees V3 playing out is around people-centric communities. And so for Contrary, the core idea is we identify the sharpest people as early as possible and we support them relentlessly throughout their career, even before they start a company. And so in the early, early days of Contrary, what better way to identify really sharp people than going to, you know, 40 plus universities across the country and identifying the two or three sharpest, most entrepreneurial people. And there's a few, you know, university centric programs out there. I'd say that the core way that Contrary has differentiated itself is that it's never been focused on people who wanted to be, you know, they wanted this experience because it'd be good on their resume to go get an investment banking job or whatever. There's certainly people who come into Contrary and go out and they do banking, they do consulting, they do venture or whatever. But the big focus in building that early community was on future builders, people who wanted to be founders down the road. That, that's what they focused on. And that has compounded for years and years and years, finding the sharpest people and they become venture partners. So they work with us on campus to source and identify the most interesting companies that have some kind of connectivity to their network or their university. And that's been a phenomenal source of, uh, of, of company introductions for us. But even more than that, it's been great to have the introductions, but even more than that, we've gotten to get really close to what is now a community of about 400 super talented folks and we grow with them in their career. So when they went to get their first job, we wanted to be a resource to them to help them think about it. Um, a good example of that even today, so just recently we announced that we hired a new head of talent, super talented guy. He's been, he was at OnDeck and spent years and years just helping people think about their career and their path and, and to help companies hire and things like that. But what's unique about him is that, you know, at most venture firms, the talent team would sort of be mostly like a plug and play recruiter for the portfolio companies. Again, because the old model is very company centric, we're still supporting our companies with our talent arm very much so. But Anthony, um, who's, who's our new head of talent, his big focus is first on supporting the members of the community that we have. We stay close to them. We want to help them think about what jobs they want to get. We want to help them connect to the right people. Um, and even right now, we're actually hiring for a coaching lead whose primary focus will be on furthering the careers and development of the folks in our community. Um, so if you know anybody who's, who loves helping uh, young, ambitious future founders, you know, send them my way because that, and that plays right into the ethos of Contrary is that 
we're first and foremost focused on building and supporting relationships with these super talented individuals in whatever way that that sort of evolves into. And right now, the way that that has kind of translated into our investing activities, number one, if people in our community start a company, awesome. We want to be their first check. We want to be super supportive. We want to be helpful. If some of those people want to go explore uh, an idea, great. We have grant programs. We have um, what we call contrary sabbatical, where people can take a year off and get some funding to be able to play around with an idea. If it doesn't work out, that's okay. They go back to their job or whatever. Awesome. There's another big chunk of the community that I spend a lot of time with, which are folks who maybe they're not ready to start a company yet. They want to start a company eventually, but right now they're focused on finding roles at exceptional um, growth companies, you know, later stage companies and, and sort of series B plus. And so that evolves into a lot of the work that I do, uh, you know, finding the best later stage companies to invest in is it can either be push or pull. So our community might go work for a stellar company and that pulls us towards that company. And we say, Hey, if we've got a couple of people working at this company, we should really, you know, spend time with them and get to know them and potentially invest and, and help grow that team. Or there's a push motion where I might go to a company and I might say, hey, I think you're an exceptional company and we have some stellar people in our community and I'd love to help you hire from that community. And so you can kind of see this core thread throughout everything that Contrary does is we're laser focused on identifying the sharpest people and then building the products and features into our community that would most support them. That's fantastic. Your comments around, you know, you, you want to find the slope um, and where you can, like you want to have an influence on the slope. Like you want to be supportive. You want to build that longitudinal relationship so that you can say like, I know this person's deep driving desires. I know their capabilities. And when I invest with them, like I, I've, I've de-risked a lot of what can go wrong just by way of having, having been there. So surrounding yourself with really high quality people, um, and building that through your process um, and kind of cradle to to IPO, like it's it's a really differentiated business model. Um, you you describing that is is really is really helpful. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening. This has been an Unlimited Partners production. The show is edited and produced by Andrew Thomas, and our music was composed by Nick Samaska. If you'd like to receive more Unlimited Partners content, then please sign up for our private podcast feed. You can do that by visiting our website, up-pod.com.